I am so thrilled about our guest uh, preacher that we have today. Uh, very excited to have Tim Selleck here with us. If you don't know this, Tim was a pastor actually here on staff at Calvary Church back in the 80s. Now, um, we got that, I, I really want to see this, so I want you guys to see this picture. He was on our pastoral staff back in the 80s. Here he is. This is him. He actually is, you will not recognize the guy that walks on stage today. It's going to be incredible. He went off about 30 years ago to plant a, a church called Calvary Church, Newport Mesa, that then ended up changing the name to The Crossing, and uh, just an incredible, amazing church that he'll tell you a little bit more about. But Tim, uh, he was actually friends with Dave because they were Harley buddies, but then has also been really a, a huge a friend and mentor to me in these last couple years. I just appreciated him so much, and I'm excited for the message that he has for us today. So let's give a warm welcome to Tim Selleck. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, man. Thanks so much. Thanks. Well, you know, that's fun days, man, when you see a picture like that way, way back. I mean, thinking, when I see that right now, I forgot I used to have hair, okay? I mean, now I got hair coming out of places I never thought, like out of here, you know. I want to push it back in so it goes back up, you know what I'm talking about? Because now that I'm at the point where I can wipe my face, blow my nose, comb my hair on one swoop, you know, that's me right now. But hey, look at this picture. Look at this picture, okay? This is present day, and when the first thing when I see this, I think to myself, I'm one lucky man, because my wife Sue has gotten better through the years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, give it up for her. Yeah. Of course, she got a good deal too. Look at this, okay? Now, um, now I, I, but I will say this. We might be the only couple in the United States of America that's gotten better looking in 35 years, okay? Maybe the only couple. Maybe the only couple. Hey, I, I just want to say this right now, right at the outset. Um, in the scriptures, for some of you who are maybe new to church, this is maybe your first time to a church because it's like the new year, you know, in many ways the fall kicks off right after Labor Day. I just want to say to you, I, I'm so grateful and honored to have you with us today at Calvary Church Santa Ana. And there's a writer of much of the New Testament portion of the Bible. You may have never heard of him. His name is Paul. And, and Paul writes these words to so many of the places that he's been. He says these words to the, the churches that he's encountered. He says, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. Well, Calvary Church Santa Ana, you must know that every time I think of you, I thank God for you. I, I thank God that on the first Sunday we attended this church in 1982, as just visitors. We were sitting, I can still remember the seat in Old Samswick Chapel, you call it now, it was the auditorium then. We sat down and sitting behind us, we didn't know him at the time, but during the turn and greet session, they introduced themselves to us, Roger and Pat Harvey. And Roger and Pat Harvey, they did something for my wife and I as a young married couple without any kids, brand new to Orange County, California. On that day, they just said, hey, what are you doing for lunch? Do you want to go out to lunch? And um, they made us feel a part of this church. And so with one Sunday's attendance, we stayed at this church. I thank God for Roger and Pat Harvey. 
I got to say this too. I thank God for the home builders class that continues to exist to this very day. Because as a result of that, I think we called them back then Sunday school classes. Then you said adult fellowship groups, and then who knows what you call them now, okay? But um, we made some deep friendships in that class that have lasted even to this day. Prayer partners. Sue and I learned so much about growing in our marriage, growing in our parenting from the people and home builders, people like John and Lynn Ahern, Gary and Kathy Wright, Alvin and Lois Chandler, John and Leslie Sherman, Craig and Betty Bryson, Bob and Connie Foyle, and I could go on and on and on. I just got to tell you right now, I will always be grateful for the home builders class. I thank God for a guy that some of you don't know. I wish you could have met him. His name was Lauren Grisette. Through a unique interaction in the men's room, <laughs> he, he challenged me as a young 24-year-old pastor. In fact, he even said with these words, his starting conversation was, you're on staff here, right? And I was thinking, well, you're on the board. You ought to know that, right? <laughs> and then he said, what area are you on staff? And then I told him, and then he said these words. He didn't skip a beat. He just went right to it. He said, hey, hey, uh, how many non-Christians do you know that you are in relationship with? And I'm going to tell you right now. you got to be careful because I get emotional thinking about it. Especially, by the way, that last song you sang, uh, how great, th that's like one of my top five. That song wrecks me every time I sing it. But when, when, when he asked me that question, hey, how many non-Christians do you know that you're in relationship with? Little did he know that that challenging question coming out of a men's room here on the campus of Calvary Church Santa Ana would become the basis for so much of my life in ministry. So I will always be grateful for Lauren Grisette. I thank God for Bob Shank, who who spent time with me, assisting me in clarifying my mission statement for life. I still live by this mission statement to this very day. It goes like this. It's never wavered. I will serve as a catalyst, introducing people to a real, relevant, and vital relationship with Jesus. I will equip others to be a catalyst in like manner. And I will work in strong support of the local church, yielding my time, talent, treasure toward kingdom-building activity. And I will carry out a lifestyle that communicates visually and verbally a vital relationship with Jesus to both the church, but most importantly, to the non-churched. And I will always be grateful for Bob helping me to set my true north at such a young age. I, I could go on and on, but just a few more. I, I thank God for the friendship it was somewhere after the 20th anniversary of our church that came out of this church where I, I reached out to Pastor Dave Mitchell. And uh, he, he agreed just to meet with me with coffee over at Tustin Marketplace. And I'll just say this. What a gift he has been to this church for so many years. What a gift. What a gift. And... Uh, I'll just say this, the fact that he rides Harleys makes him an even better man, okay? There's a special person I want to introduce, and I'm glad he's here today, or thank, and that's Jim Hoover. Jim Hoover. Give it up for Jim Hoover. Jim and, 
Jim and Johnny, uh, they were, well, Jim is the board member back then. He was assigned. I don't know if he volunteered for it or he got the short straw or what, but he, he actually was assigned to this brand new church plant called Calvary Church Newport Mesa. He was assigned to stay there for two years. He stayed a little bit longer than that because I think he enjoyed it. But all of his friendships were here at Calvary Church Santa Ana. Over those years, the numbers of conversations, discussions, interactions that we would have sitting in the little lobby of his printing business right off of Newport Boulevard, just across the street from where Calvary Church Newport Mesa was located in those days. It was a real gift to a young, inexperienced, for the most part kind of new Christian launching this brand new church. So I just want to say, I will always thank God for you, Jim Hoover. Thank you so very much. And then, I, I just want to say, I, I thank God for you, Pastor Eric. I don't like calling you Pastor, just Eric, okay? But, um, uh, you know, you, you very rarely meet a young man who's both forward-looking and at the same time understands the, the dynamic tension of looking back enough to honor that which has been the foundation that's been built all around him. And he even reached out to me, asked me to be a part of a podcast. I think only one person listened to it. That was my wife, okay? And um, he reached out and just said, I want you to be on that. And I thought, well, you didn't have to do that. But he did. It shows uh, a little bit about how he's wired. I think he was uh, 10 years old when that other picture that you saw earlier was taken. So he's quite a bit younger. But God's gifted him with great wisdom and a deep desire to lead this church that's been around for a lot of years now. He's a great man of God. He loves the local church. He loves this church. He loves the staff of this church. And he loves his community. That's an important key for a lead pastor of a local church. So, Eric, I thank God for you. Thank God for you. And then I just wanted to say this to all of you. Um, I thank God for every one of you here today. See, what you don't know or even understand is I, I would not be, Sue and I would not be the people we are today if it wasn't for the modeling and training and the opportunity we had to be a part of this church. Just, just, just what I know now about church, just to come on staff. I, I got asked to be on the staff. I had no experience and no Bible training. What a gift. What a learning opportunity. So now all these years later, what's now called the Crossing Church, the cross, we only changed the name because we were answering the phones for Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa all the time. So we got tired of it. So we changed our name to The Crossing. Same church, same theology. But we are who we are because of you. And um, we, we had a very clear mission statement right at the outset. And we've lived true to that mission statement from the beginning to this very day. And that was to help people who are saying no to God, say yes to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And what you need to know about the Crossing Church, don't go there. Stay here. But let me just say this. What you need to know about that church is that mission statement has been true to this very day. What you, what's so great, and I, that's why I get like overwhelmed with that song, How Great Thou Art. Because 41% of the people who come to the Crossing Church, and we started taking surveys over the last 10 years, 41% of the people who come to the Crossing Church say that's the first church they've ever been a part of. You don't have to clap, but if you want to, go. But I'm just telling you right now, um, what a gift. And over the years, yeah, we bought land and built buildings and hired staff, and it's grown. But the beauty of it is, is our church, right out of the gate, we had the opportunity, just like this church did in the early, early 1900s, we had, a, we had right out of the gate to say, okay, we, we are going to take Jesus serious at the Great Commission. Go and make. So that's what we did. And that's what we continue to do. Now what you need to know is, in October 1st of 2018, I did what Dave and Eric did here at this church. I, I planned out a, a four-year succession so that on the 30th anniversary of the crossing, I would hand over the reins to a new lead pastor. And so I did that. And over these past, uh, past 12 months or so, um, I, I've had the opportunity to watch him lead, to cheer him on, to thank God for him because it's still our church. I'm still on the speaking team at that church. I still, I still say to him, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve you as you serve Jesus. So I just got to tell you, every time, like Paul, I think of you, I just want to start off the message that way because I've never had the chance to tell you all that over 31 years. I thank God for you. So give it up for yourselves for who you are. Can you pray with me right now? God, just uh, take our hearts today, keep them open, and may we, may we get ready to be changed. Help us not think about the person in front of us or behind us or to the side of us. Help us think about us. And what is there about us that needs to be altered? And may we submit to you right now, we're ready for that challenge. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I don't know about you if you ever heard about this, but, but it happened recently. There's a small plane traveling up to Lake Tahoe. And on that plane... There was a pilot, a minister, a boy scout, and the world's smartest man. And while they were en route to Tahoe, they encountered extreme turbulence. And the pilot looked back at all them and said, hey, I'm sorry to tell you this. I can't control the plane, so we're going down. But here's the problem. I just realized we only have three parachutes and there's four of us. And just at that moment, just at that moment, he said, I've got a young family and a wife. They need me. He grabbed one and he jumped out of the plane. Or right away, the world's smartest man looked at the Boy Scout and the minister, and he said, hey, I'm the world's smartest man. Without me, the world would never get along. So then he grabbed one, and he jumped out of the plane. Well, just at that moment, just at that moment, the minister looked at the Boy Scout and said, hey, here, 
you go ahead. You, you, you have the last one. I know Jesus. I know where I'm going when I die. Here, you take the last parachute. So right at that moment, the Boy Scout looked at the minister and said, Hey, cool it, Reverend. The world's smartest man just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. And um, here's the truth. For so much of my life, I've lived as though I thought I was the world's smartest man. And as a result, I've learned a lot of things the hard way. But the one thing I know, and it's not, you just need to know this at the outset, it's not because I'm all that smart. But the one thing I know is that for all of us, in 2019 and beyond, the enemy, the enemy that needs attacking more than any other enemy in our lives is self-centeredness. Our culture is self-centered. You and I know that, and to deny that would be the biggest of all deceptions. I mean, just take social media. It's all about what? Say it out loud. The selfie. But just as our culture is self-centered, I'm afraid the church is too. However, friends, the church can't be self-centered. The church of all institutions needs to be he, we, centered. For example, just fellowship. The word fe fellowship just teaches us that we are to be we, we-focused. So then the question then is for us, are, are we going to love other people? Even the unlovely? The ethnically different, the undocumented, the gender confused, the non-churched, are we going to love them in sacrificial ways? That, that's the we. Stewardship and worship, they teach us that we are to be he, not me. But he centered. So the question then becomes, will, will we live now in light of the day that we will face Jesus eyeball to eyeball? Instead of living this day for me, will we live now in this day in a whole new kind of way? You see, here's, here's my grand aim. As a result of this message, my aim is that we would change our lives. That, that we would stop being so smug and we would change our self-centered attitude to a God-centered one. Now, to do that, I'm going to ask us all to focus on one word today, and it's the word worship. But, but I need to tell you in advance, some of you are going to hear some things that are going to surprise you. Some of you will hear some things that excite you. Some of it might even move you. But I also need to tell you, because of my personality style, some of what I'm going to say is probably going to irritate some of you. Or it's probably going to convict you. But more than anything, I would ask that we collectively will quit thinking we're so smart. And this will change you. So I got a question for you. The question is this. When I say the word worship, what immediately pops into your mind? Lots of things, right? 
Because a lot of us have different views on worship. For, for some of you, it's a specific time on a Sunday morning where you come to church. For others of you, when you think of worship, you think of singing or songs or musical stuff. Many people will immediately think hymns or choruses. For others of you, your mind might go to different kinds of approaches. For some of you, you might go to like a charismatic approach. Or for some of you, it might go to a more liturgical approach. However, what I have found is that for most Christians, they don't think of worship as a way of life. So today I just want to say this is so important. Please listen. Okay? You, you gotta just, you, you've got to, from this moment on in the message, think only about you. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your parents, not somebody in your adult fellowship group or some gathering that you're a part of. I want you to think today about you and whether or not you are living the kind of life that's appropriate before that almighty God. So let's begin by defining some terms. The first and most critical word we need to define is the word worship, okay? We got to understand what it means. So if we lived in England at the time of Shakespeare, the word worship was the word worth, worth-ship. That's how they said it, worth-ship. So just in the saying of it, you get a feel for the meaning behind the word. We got kind of lazy when we came across the ocean. We didn't like saying worth-ship. seemed too cumbersome, so we just say worship. And its core, worship just simply means that we as human beings, we give God his worth. We communicate to him that he is worthy. In fact, if you have a Bible, take it out. If you have a Bible, take it out. I just want you to see where this is located. Um, if you don't have a Bible, take out your smartphone. Take out your smartphone. If you don't have a Bible, take out a smartphone. And if you don't have a Bible with you, then while I'm speaking, maybe you're new to church, you don't know much about the Bible, you, you need to know this. You can go to what, what I use on mine. It's called Version. It's free. It's a Bible app. You have all kinds of different versions. But it's a Bible app. It's free. And what I like about it is they don't send you any stupid emails. Okay? Just, just you can get it right now while I'm talking. So if you're kind of new to this whole church, Jesus, God thing, again, it's a privilege that you're with us today at Calvary Church Santa Ana. But you can just take out one and put it. So, so Psalm 29. Psalm 29. And uh, by the way, I'm going to read this version in the New King James because some of you are probably wondering, wh where did you get those? Okay? So this is where I'm getting it. Okay? It says this. Give unto the Lord, you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Th those are stunning verses. But, but three times in two verses, we're told to what? Say it. Give. We're told to give. The writer of Psalms wants us to really get something. So if you don't remember anything I say from this point on, remember this. Worship is something you give, not something you get. Worship is something you give, not something you get. And, and I want to say something right now, because unfortunately in our present church culture, worship has now been defined as the adrenaline rush I get from singing a song I like. I'll have people who come up to me after a church service and they'll scold me. 
They'll say, Pastor, we didn't worship today. And so I'll say, well, 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 well why, why? And they'll go, well, because the songs didn't connect. And then on the same weekend, I'll have somebody who comes up to me and goes, whoa, Pastor, did we worship today? And I'll ask them, why, why do you feel that way? And they'll say, well, the songs, they moved me so much. So you want to know what bugs me? It's unfortunate that the litmus test, the litmus test of worship these days is whether or not we are moved. Listen to me. This is not the biblical view. The biblical view of worship is it needs to move him, God. Whether it moves us or not is irrelevant. Get this. Worship is for God, not for us. Worship is for God, not for us. And in our 21st century Christian subculture, the mindset is we think it's for us. It's for God, not for us. Worship is designed for God. And so like, yeah, one of my top five songs you sang today, you didn't even know it was my, like I'm weeping over there singing, Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder. I love that song. My wife, unfortunately, knows I love that song too. I sing it a lot. But then the next song you sang, or the song before that, I didn't know that song. And he told us it was a new song, but frankly, because I didn't know the song, it irritated me that I didn't know it. You ever felt that way? But who gives a rip what I feel? It's about God. And then I love the phrase at the very end of that passage where it says, worship the Lord, worship the Lord in the, in the beauty, in the beauty or the splendor some versions have of his holiness. And when I read that passage, the, 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 the picture that came to my mind is this. On the count of three, everybody say out loud, what is this? A mirror, a mirror. And, and they're, 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 the way I figure it, there are two kinds of people, just two. There are those who walk around, yeah, they start looking at themselves in the morning this way, and the rest of the day it's going, wow, look at me. Man, I look good. By the way you drive, cut people off, look at me. That road's mine. By the way you order your coffee, by the way you conduct your work, my prestige, look at my popularity, my accomplishments. Let's just call this for what it is, self-centeredness. But there's another kind of person, and that person is a follower of God. And that person lives in the glory and the beauty. The first person they, 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 they just are focused on themselves. This person is focused on the beauty of the Lord of the universe. And so what happens is, what happens is, I, I mean, they're just reflecting constantly. And, and, um, and I, so when they're walking around in life, I'm going to do this until I hit every one of you. Okay? Like right there. See? Because they're reflecting God's glory. 
And if I'm, if I'm living in the splendor, the beauty of God, I'm not looking at me, I'm looking at God. And then God's beauty, God's splendor reflects back out of me to everyone I come in contact with. So worship then really ultimately is the mirror of my life is reflecting so that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, each and every day of the week, I reflect God's glory to everybody I come in contact with. In fact, just get this down, okay? Worship is a life lived. Worship is a life lived. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, reflecting God back to everyone I come in contact with. That means it's to my wife. I'm a worshiper. To, to, to my husband, to, to, to my kids, to my parents, to my teachers, to the people I drive with on the freeway. The, the, the waiter or waitress I order things from in, in a restaurant. I'm a reflector. There's a second word we need to look at, and, and it's, the word, it's the word I already used a number of times, the word glory. We glorify God, right? We glorify God. The word is doxa in the Greek, right? And it came from the Greek word dokeo, which meant to appear or to see. And the noun form of that word came to mean an opinion, opinion. So doxa basically means given, an, given honor, but, but that is due a person. To glorify or doxa God means that you have a high opinion of God. And, um, and so in some churches, um, they sing the doxology. I know you sing it here, because when I visited here, your church was the second church I visited after I, I did the succession, and I was on a sabbatical. The second week I, I came in October, you sang the doxology. And I love it. It's a simple chorus. If you know it, I'm going to attempt to lead you. Sing it with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's wonderful. To glorify means we're expressing a high opinion of God. And when we express a high opinion of God, we do that everywhere we go. We're honoring him. Or the negative, which would be we're, we're dishonoring him. There's a third word that you'll hear in churches, and it was a part of the doxology, and it's the word praise, right? What does it mean? Well, the word praise at the core means to speak well of. Our, our English word praise comes from the Greek word uh, eulogeo, right? And eulogeo is where we get the word eulogize. H have you ever been to a funeral and, and you heard a eulogy? Well, what do you do when you eulogize a person? Well, you talk about what a great man or woman or child that, that, that person was, right? They're speaking highly of them. So you have three terms. I just want to kind of lay a foundation. Worship, glory, praise. Some of you knew those things. Some of you probably didn't. Oh, before I go on, you probably heard this story. My wife Sue is in education. Um, she's been, a, you know, like assistant principal and principal, and now she's doing a little, something a little different. Well, there was this little girl, and I believe this little girl was in kindergarten, and she was drawing a picture. So the teacher walked over to her and said, hey, Susie, wow, what, what, what are you doing? And the little girl looked right up at her teacher, little kindergarten girl, and said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher was taken aback. So seeking to correct the little kindergarten girl, the teacher said, but sweetie, you, 
you know, no one knows what God looks like. And the little girl, without hesitation, looked right back at her teacher and said, well, they will when I get done. <laughs> so here's what I'm hoping for as a result of this message. I'm hoping that people will know what God looks like. Because of the reflection they see out of you and me. And that, my friends, is worship. Life number one. Three, three kinds of lives. Three kinds of lives that I want to talk about possibly in this room today, okay? Let's just do it and then we'll be done and you can go on and have a free lunch. Isn't that great? Free lunch, okay? So um, let me just say this. The first thing is three kinds of lives. First one is a life that doesn't include worship. Life that doesn't include worship. That's life one. Now, but a Christian that doesn't worship is an oxymoron. You, you understand the word oxymoron, right? For example, sometimes Christians will panic. Well, friends, a panicking Christian is an oxymoron. Because a Christian, by definition, is someone who trusts Jesus fully for everything, right? So if we've trusted Jesus fully for everything, what is there to panic about? All of life is in Jesus' hands. In the same way, a non-worshipping Christian is an oxymoron because a Christian is simply a reflector. They're either reflecting God's glory, His beauty back to everyone they encounter, or they're merely reflecting their own self-centeredness. So we are worshiping something, are we not? And we make that choice every single day when we get out of bed in the morning. A second life that's represented in the scriptures, a second life that's represented in the scriptures is a life that practices wrong worship. Wrong worship. Now, as soon as I say the words wrong worship, some of you go, now, wait a minute. I mean, I know that you folks from Costa Mesa are really progressive, but who are you to say? Like, wrong worship. Well, I'm nobody. I am nobody. I'm not that smart either. But God's somebody, and he says there's wrong worship. Like, for example, God says worship is wrong when we worship false gods. Because remember in Exodus 20, Exodus 20, I'll put it up on the screen if you want to get to it in your Bibles. Exodus 20, 1 through 4, verses 1 through 4. God's up on the mountain speaking to Moses, right? And, um, and he speaks clearly in the first commandment um, to the topic of worship. Look what it says here. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. God says my relationship with him is to be so important that you never allow other gods to get in the way. So some of you are going, well, I don't worship any other gods. <laughs> really? Well, let's just try the first one, the God of money. That's one of them that they seem to struggle a lot with in the scripture days. I, I was sent from this church when I was on staff at this church. We went down to Argentina. It was the first time I'd ever been there. And, um, and I took a bunch of our singles, we were in a singles ministry. There was about 23 of us that went. And we went to this city in Argentina called Cordoba. And, uh, and uh, it was a 70, I got this chance to speak in front of 70,000 people. But before I got the chance to speak in front of 70,000 people, the pastor who was over that whole thing said, hey, 
um, watch this. I'm going to take up an offering. And young man, this is how it's done. And so he's, he asked everybody to stand. He asked everybody to stand. And then he said, what I want you all to do right now is I all want you to reach in the pocket or the pocketbook and the person in front of you and take out their wallet. And now I want you to give like you've always wanted to give. So what we're going to do is right now, Calvary Church, Santa Ana, stand up. You'd find out really quick just how much the God of money is your God if we did that. Oh, there's another one. Sometimes the God of popularity. I remember one time, um, I just happened, because the only time I'm really on social media is when I'm on a Harley trip that Sue and I take. And uh, I I I just saw the feed, and so I saw somebody I knew, and I pressed like. And then when I got back a couple weeks later, this, this person came up to me on the campus of the crossing and said, Pastor, thank you so much. Who, who are you? Uh, why? What did I do? You liked my Facebook post. Then I got to thinking, I wonder how many others of us check our own posts. How many friends, how many likes we've got. We've got gods. Oh, another one is the God, the God of, of, God of sex, God of sex. Um, they say that now there's not a, a, a college boy or girl who graduates in any college, Christian or, or non-Christian, that doesn't graduate after watching Lots of pornography. The God of sex. There's the God of chemicals. The God of chemicals. Some of you here are part of the 12-step movement. And I just want to say I thank God for you taking a daily challenge every day to take one day at a time to stay sober and clean. Because at one point in your life, some sort of substance was your God. Some others of you are struggling with that. We've we've got people at this church who want to embrace you and encourage you and help you walk out a life of freedom and not bondage to that God. So worship is wrong when we worship false gods, but then number two, number two, worship is wrong. Worship is wrong when we worship him, like, mechanically. I mean... There was this one passage, and for some of you who kind of knew the Bible, this was a guy named, he was a prophet, okay? And when prophets came places, they spoke hard truth. It was kind of disruptive, unsettling. And this guy's name's Amos, if you don't know much about his story. I'm just going to show you Amos chapter 5. Look at this, okay? It says, look at what he says to the people there. He says, I hate, God's saying to them, God says, I hate all your show of pretense and the hypocrisy of the religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your hymns of praise. They're only noise to my ears. I will not listen to your music, no matter how lovely it is. And then, if you could look at the screen and read this out loud with me. I don't know if you ever do this here. But let's read what you see on the screen together. Let's all read together. Here we go. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, a river of righteous living that will never run dry. Why did he want their offerings? Were there not good offerings? They were great offerings. 
Were their songs not awesome? Yeah, their songs were awesome. The band was great. The, the song, they sang with gusto. They sang with their whole heart. So why didn't he want their worship? Well, he tells us right there at the end, the verse you're staring at on the screens. Because I want to see a mighty flood of justice, a river of righteous living that will never run dry. In other words, from Monday through Saturday, in front of your spouse, in front of your kids, in front of your co-workers, in front of the people you drive alongside, in any freeway, side street, in any coffee shop, restaurant, anywhere you go, interact with anyone. I want to see your... I want to see my reflection out of you. And I don't see my reflection out of you. In other words, what he was saying is, you sing one way, but you're living another way. That's what he's saying. They sang when they came together with great gusto on a Sunday like this. They, but then when they walked out of the campus or away from the campus, they reflected a whole other way of living. Are you doing that? i got to believe that some of you are i got to believe that some of you are. And then the third thing I want to just point out before I, before I get to the end is, is they, they, Malachi 1.8. It was a pathetic form of worship. Pathetic form of worship. Look what it says. When, when you give blind animals and sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord, Lord Almighty. Well, I, I guess these people were taken, beat up, badly bruised, Animals and bringing them before God, and God saying, "You wouldn't give that to the President of the United States of America. Why? Why are you? Why? Why are you bringing that? I wonder if this describes anyone else in the room here today. You come to church in sort of a non-engaged sort of attitude. You wake up late. You're running late. You arrive late, and then you fight all the way here with who's ever in the car. Your kids, your spouse, and if there's nobody in the car, then you fight with other people who are in front of you on the roads." Because it's your fault that you woke up late. And then you get to the surface, service and you're already thinking about two songs in. You're thinking about what you're going to do after the service. Some of you have already, I've seen, I can see a lot of things up here. Some of you are already checking the RAM score. <laughs> Would you treat another important person like that? Like if you had the chance to go visit the president, and I don't care what your political bent is, Democrat or Republican, when it was Barack Obama's president or, or President Trump as president, what would you do? When you got that invitation, you would treasure it. And you know what you'd do? You'd get there early. And then when he was speaking, you would... Give that person rapt attention. Because he's the president. You wouldn't be checking your news feed, your social media feed. So why, why don't we do that with God? Can I just say one thing? And I'm not your pastor. And after today, you're probably glad I'm not your pastor. <laughs> can, can you just, just get here early? My dad used to always say, and I know I'm from the Midwest, and we just do things different, but he'd always say, if you're not five minutes early, you're late. And so in church, what's neat about coming early is you get to sit there and, like, prepare to receive 
so that when you walk out, you can reflect. Maybe we don't reflect really well when we leave because we weren't really there when we were there. Um, let me give you one last, one last thing. And then life number three, so no worship, okay. Um, you got that going on for you. Then the last one, the last one is, is a, a life consisting of true worship. That's what I long for you and I long for me. Psalm 95.6, I learned it as a chorus. Come let us worship and bow down. I love that chorus. It says this, Psalm 95.6, come let us worship and bow down. Worship is an act of the will. It's something we choose to do. In order for somebody to bow down, they have to submit themselves, themselves to God and his way of life living through them. So let, can I just say this right now, just in corporate worship? A good worship experience, a good worship experience does not depend on who leads me in worship. It does not, that's a huge misunderstanding in the church today. What God is saying here is it depends on my attitude. It depends on my attitude. Come let us worship and bow down. It's an act of the will. And then the psalm writer goes on to say, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Kneel. True worship a lot makes us slow down. So I, why? Why? Because all week long, for most of us, we're just looking at this, just ourselves, because it's all about me. God doesn't want it to be about me. He wants it to be about him. So hopefully he can get our attention. Come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Why do we do this? Look at the rest of the verse. We are the people he watches over, the sheep under his care. If you would only listen to his voice today. If you'd only listen to his voice today. Why do we do this? Because he's God and we're not. He's God and we're sheep. So if you'd only listen to my voice, he says. So again, the question, I'm going to end with the question. End with the question I began with at the very start and it's this. The question is this. Does my life so fully reflect God? God's glory, that when people see me or talk to me, or do they see and hear Jesus in me? Because what I always say is, and that's what I love about our church, 41% of the people who come wouldn't continue to hang out if they didn't see something different in us. So my challenge to Calvary Church Santa Ana is when you walk out of this place, reflect God's glory in your marriage. After a while, you watch people where you work, people in your neighborhood, they're going to go, there's something different about you. What is it? Parent your kids a different manner than other people parent their kids. Reflect. Kids, treat your parents different than other kids treat their parents. Reflect God's, because what we're drawn to anything that's beautiful. That's all God's saying. Show the beauty that is me out of the way you live 24 hours a day, seven days a week to everyone you encounter. And then everyone will know. Everyone will know. I'm around. I, I, my parents sent me to a Catholic school when I was in elementary school because they wanted me to have a good education. I was always getting in trouble with the nuns who ran the school. And uh, one day, I'm in the principal's office with my cohort in crime named Leo. And I can just, I can overhear Sister Assisi, who's the pr principal, saying to Leo in the office, Where's God? And Leo's just looking back at her because I'm out in the waiting room. Leo's just looking at her going, 
He doesn't say anything. And she says, Leo, young man, where's God? And so she said, you get out of here. You go tell your, your friend to come in. And so he got up. And as when we, we walked past each other, I said, Leo, what's up? And Leo says, evidently God's missing and they're trying to pin it on us. Can I just say this? I think God's still alive. However, you'd never know it by the lack of the reflection. God isn't missing. He wants you to display him. Every one of us reaches another one around us. 10.02, we pray for that person. Because you got to ask yourself, when you got the chance to share with them, would they even want to hear you? Because of the way you reflect. In other words, because of the way you worship. Let's stand for prayer. Let's stand for prayer. God, my prayer would be for this awesome, wonderful church that means so much to Sue and I, that you would continue to allow it to blaze ever bright, brighter in the days ahead. But a church is not a building, it's not a campus, it's not even programming or ministries. A church is people who live life reflecting your glory, your splendor, your beauty to everyone we encounter 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I pray that we would be that at this church, that we would be that and we'd live that and do that so that there is a, 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 a river of righteous live, living that never runs dry. And God, if that would take place in and through this church, we would have to lock the doors because so many people would be flocking here because we're worshipers reflecting your image in our marriage, in our parenting, in our businesses, in our friendships. In, in just our daily living, in coffee shops, in restaurants, and in cars, and health clubs. That's my prayer. Help us be worshipers. I ask this for all of us in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 You can have